This episode of Local Knowledge is brought to you by TaylorMade. The beauty of golf is that in any given round, you get to play so many different types of shots. That's why you need the ball that's made to be better on every shot in golf, the TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With the TP5 and TP5X, no matter what shot you're facing, you'll have the confidence to step into it and think, I love it. That's why players like Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy, Colin Morikawa, Ricky Fowler, Tommy Fleetwood, and so many other pros trust TP5 and TP5X every week. Head to TaylorMadeGolf.com and use the promo code GOLFDIGEST for free shipping. The player is the ultimate tip of the spear. The absolute, they are the nuclear weapon in the, in the missile. The team dynamic in sport. That's why I have said this for a long time. The F1 NASCAR model where we put teams around players. It's just the players, the owner of the team. And it's the best model there is. All this team talk, it might make a hardcore traditionalist cringe. Golf, after all, is a game of rugged individualism. It's you on an island out there. Or is it? The modern PGA Tour player talks often about his team, and like it or not, it's true. Whereas a player in the 70s might have an instructor they saw periodically, guys these days might have 10 guys on their payroll. Head to a PGA Tour range on a Tuesday and you'll see plenty of these people who work behind the scenes, the people behind that lone name on the leaderboard. I'm Dan Rappaport, this is Local Knowledge, and today's episode will peel back the curtain on all the people working for PGA Tour players who are not PGA Tour players. I've wanted to do this one for a while. I remember when I first started covering events, I'd see all these people on the range or walking practice rounds with guys, and I'd always have one question pop into my head. What exactly do you do? Why are you here? Why are guys paying you when you can't hit a shot? The answers are far more detailed and nuanced than I ever thought. So this week, with players all hoping to peak for the PGA Championship, we're going to talk to people from across the PGA Tour landscape. And you better believe I asked them all that same question. What do you do? A common response I got from these people is something similar to what Dr. Brett McCabe said there at the beginning. The player is the CEO, the head honcho, the decision maker, the tip of the spear. Everything starts and ends with the player. So will this podcast. Here's Colin Morikawa. There's two really big groups of, of people, you know, just say you have someone who's never had a coach and you just kind of talk it through their caddy and, and you figure it out. And then you have these guys who rely on someone for everything, right? And you can, I, I believe you can kind of find a middle balance. I can't say for certain, but in my semi-informed opinion, Colin falls right in the middle of the continuum. On one end of the spectrum, the never had a coach guy would be someone like Bubba Watson, who's literally never had a lesson and taught himself how to play golf. And he's won 12 times on the PGA Tour, including two Masters. The other end of the spectrum would be someone like Bryson DeChambeau, a super analytical player on a relentless pursuit of even a small advantage. Colin is right in the middle. He has a swing coach, Rick Sessinghouse, who he's worked with since he was eight years old. Sessinghouse has doctorate degrees in sports psychology. He's written books on the topic. He gives leadership lectures. And so he also sort of functions as Colin's mental coach. Colin has two trainers that he works with. When his putting was in bad shape, he consulted with Marco Mira, who nudged him to try the saw putting grip he's been using for the last year plus. 
As far as short game goes, he had a 20-minute lesson from Paul Azinger ahead of last year's WGC event at the concession, which Colin won, and he uses that as a baseline to work off of. And that's kind of it. When you have more and more people out there, for me, it almost seems like you almost have more and more pressure and you have to talk to every single one of them and they all want that best thing out of you, right? So they're going to they're gonna want their time out of you to make sure they get in their input of word. And I'm not saying that that's for everyone and I'm not saying that there's a ton of people like that. Um, but when you add more and more people to this kind of entourage and you bring out, you know, three, four people on a range or three, four people on a putting green, um, there's a lot of voices. Hearing him talk about this, I was reminded of a conversation Colin and I had last year on Tuesday of the Open Championship Week at Royal St. George's. Colin was coming off a really poor ball striking week at the Scottish Open. He hated the way his irons were interacting with the firm Lynx golf turf, and he had some serious work to do ahead of a major championship. And while a number of guys traveled with their full teams, the only person there with Colin that week was his caddy, J.J. Jakovac. I asked Colin why he didn't bring Rick, his agent, or anyone else. His response? I don't need them. Colin is remarkably self-reliant, but he also has a pretty unique situation in that he actually leans on JJ probably more than most other players lean on their caddies. It's among the great cliches in golf, referring to a caddy as a great player in his own right, but it's actually true here. Jakovac won two Division II individual national titles at Chico State and actually won the Nicholas Award as a top player in all of college golf in 2004. He turned pro himself and played the mini-tours before switching to caddying in 2008. Now, usually a caddy's job is first to give the player accurate information. This part has been made immeasurably easier by modern yardage books, which are just good as hell. Carry numbers, rollout numbers, everything you could need. Guys can show up to a golf course they've never seen before and have all the pertinent information. The second part of the job is getting your player in a good headspace. It's unusual, then, that JJ functions as a sounding board for Colin's short game. I think I've always had guys who who relied on me for, you know, wind and how far our shots playing and all that standard stuff. But I don't really like we don't do a lot. Um, we do a lot pregame stuff when it comes to short game, putting, chipping, different types of shots, different just learning, hitting different windows on chip shots and and just being creative and letting um, letting his you know best come out. JJ's as ingrained in his player's process as any caddy on tour, and he's in constant conversations with other members of Team Morikawa to make sure their work all complements each other's. This kind of workflow is far more common today than it was when Jakovac started caddying in 2008. I think we need to hit that like mid-35 shot with a little hold on. Okay. You like that? So mid, yeah. I'm just going to hit my chip down to hit a mid. You with that? Mid-35 shot. Yeah. See that flag? Yeah. That's the shot, huh? I love it. Me too. I would say there's was definitely people who were doing it like that when I first started, but way less of them. Now it's most everyone treats it like you're talking about, which is like you have your your body guy that helps you with your body, your your trainer, your caddy, your coach, your short game coach, or whatever. But yeah, it's I would say to answer your question, it it definitely there was people who did it like that back then, but it wasn't the majority. And now it's definitely the majority. Every tour player has a caddy, obviously. 
And every player on tour also deals with equipment reps who work for the manufacturers. You know, tailor-made, Titleist, Ping. These are the guys, often young guys, who are dressed like tour pros, who mingle around the driving range on practice days. They're in charge of making sure every piece of equipment is dialed in on any particular week. Kenton Oates, a tour rep for Ping, will attend 35 to 38 tournaments a year. Uh, just checking in with all of them on Sunday or Monday whenever they're getting to the golf tournament, uh, making sure that, you know, they don't need new grips, or are their clubs all good, do you need a fresh lob wedge, How are all your, how's all your gear, is your driver good? Just really staying in constant communication with our guys, making sure that they're, they're ready to go. We're kind of, you know, like a, just a NASCAR pit crew here, just trying to make sure uh, all of their stuff and all their gear is ready to roll. Kenton is obviously there to assist any of the Ping staff players, but he'll also work with equipment-free agents who play Ping clubs. Interestingly, he's the one person we talked to in this podcast who is not paid by the player. His paycheck comes from Ping. So if a guy wants to make a change to his bag for a certain week, they're on top of that. It's not super common for a guy to change the core of his bag, the driver, the irons, the wedges... The most common tweaking comes in that dreaded gap between 4-iron and 3-wood. The club that we work the most on is that club after most everyone plays a 4-iron, and then you have a 3-wood, and it's that gap. Those two clubs that normally fit in that gap, those are very course-dependent. Like, do you need a 2-iron because it's, you know, a tighter golf course, it's very fast. Um, when we go to majors, it's a lot of 7-woods at times for, to try to advance it out of some thicker rough. So those are the two clubs that we're really always uh, working on. Hybrid, long irons, fairway woods. What, what, what's going to gap and work the best for, for that week? These pros obviously have super high standards for the people working on their equipment because a single shot can be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. But they're also picky because these guys can feel differences in clubs that you or I simply can't. I've been you know, lucky enough to be around Bubba for you know, the last seven years, and he has some incredible feel where if it's just like, you know, I think this eight iron is a quarter degree upright or a quarter degree flat or my lob wedge has too much loft on it. You're just like, oh, okay. And then you'll go put it in and check it. And sure enough, Bubba is almost always right. His feel is it's pretty sensitive and it's pretty spot on in terms of, I mean, everything, weight, uh, loft, lie. He, he's very perceptive to what's going on with his golf club. Guys like Kenton will usually leave a tournament on Wednesday night because most of their work is done. Unless it isn't. And then there's a problem. Once I leave this golf course today on Wednesday, the last thing I ever want to see is a phone call from one of our guys. That's when you know that it's, something's wrong. Yeah, it's, it's normally not good if, if one of their names pops up on my phone on a Friday morning. I've never... They're usually not calling to, to check in and see how my day's going. They're usually not saying, hey, I really love the work you do with these two hours. Exactly. Yeah, don't tell me that next Monday. It's more like, hey, I, uh, I broke this or this happened. The beauty of golf is that in any given round, you get to hit so many different types of shots. That's why you need the ball that's made to be better on every shot in golf, the TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With the TP5 and TP5X, no matter what shot you're facing, you'll have the confidence to step into it and think, I love it. Stock fade, love it. Step on a three-wood, love it. Knock it down under the wind, love it. That's why players like Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy, Colin Morikawa, Ricky Fowler, Tommy Fleetwood, and so many other pros trust TP5 and TP5X every week. 
And both TP5 and TP5X come in picks for better visual feedback around the greens. Head to tailormadegolf.com and use the promo code GOLFDIGEST for free shipping. The player Kenton mentioned, Bubba Watson, does not have a swing coach, but he's one of the very, very few tour players who don't. Swing coaches seem to be more visible than ever on tour. They're the guys, often with their phones out or an iPad in their hands, talking to the players after each swing. There are a number of coaches who have multiple PGA Tour players they work with, which makes sense. If you're a tour player, you want a coach who's going to be out there so you can see him frequently. These are the Sean Foley's of the world. John Tillery, Rick Smith, Claude Harmon III, Pete Cowan, and Mark Blackburn, who works with a bunch of tour players. Max Homer, Charlie Hoffman, Adam Hadwin, Ches Reevy, Trey Mullinax. They got fired by Gary Woodland yesterday. So there you go. That's how golf goes. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> oh, it's funny. You've got one guy wins and another guy. I mean, it's just... It is what it is, right? Like, guys play well. Mark, like most every other coach on the PGA Tour, is paid a percentage of winnings. It's not an hourly rate like you might have with your local pro. So then how does he balance working for all these different guys when they're at the same event? As much as possible, you send a group text at the beginning of the week and you're like, um, okay, guys, what does everybody need? What does everybody want? Um, And you kind of suggest, say, look, if you want to maximize your time, let's say on a Tuesday, the more people that play together is probably going to be advantageous. But really, it's a question of what do people need? And the players, generally speaking, are pretty sensitive to, look, if somebody's struggling and they're not, they're like, hey, look, as long as I know I'm doing the right things and I've got some positive affirmation and you're validating that we're on the right track and I know I'm having positive outcomes, you go spend some time with the guys that are struggling. It's difficult when they're like spread out like through the day like typically our days are really long if you're a coach and you coach multiple players you're sun up to sun down just because you're trying to give as much time as possible to the players that you've got and generally speaking they're not all on the same schedule and coaching professionals at pga tour events is a lot harder than coaching amateurs on a driving range with amateurs if you want someone to make a significant change you can go for it because there are no real consequences if they regress before they get better But tour pros, especially struggling ones, just don't have the job security to be able to accept one step back before two steps forward. And once they're at a tournament, most of these guys don't want to head to the golf course with eight different swing thoughts in their head. Coaching players away from a tournament is really easy. Coaching players at a tournament gets gets interesting because... Well, I would think that sometimes you you have to sort of filter yourself, right? Because if if you have too much information coming out there, they're going to be overloaded and they're going to be paralyzed when they're over the ball in competition. If you want just fluffing and said, that's great, that's difficult when you're used to fixing stuff. Do you know what I mean? And so to your point, sometimes you have to be a cheerleader um, on tour and you have to manage what they're doing as best as possible, knowing that you can't actually fix it. And that's the part that people don't see. And that's the part that gets really difficult when the player's in a foul mood after they play badly and they're, you know, cussing you and everybody and they want to kill people. You've got to be the calm in the storm and that gets difficult. So that's the, that's the part at tournament coaching is different. It's a lot more adapting to the situation, being a bit of a chameleon, it's not ideal learning at all, but sometimes it's the best you can do and you have to make, make do with it. 
A swing coach like Mark will be in constant communication with a player's caddy or an equipment rep because all the work has to line up. If a player wants to take some spin off his driver, that can be done with an equipment tweak, but that equipment tweak might cause the player to compensate in a way that goes against what they're working on with their instructor. All these pieces are interrelated. Inherently, your technique is moved towards the tragically poor to terrible to it's disastrous yeah. and you're going to have a bad outcome your brain's not stupid and your brain says oh man this bad stuff is about to happen and then you start to flick a coach's work does not end when he leaves the driving range not if you want to be a great coach that is I would say you're always trying to learn. I'm in my office. You can see all these books. So you're always trying to learn and go outside the box and to try and figure out human performance, human interaction, like psychology, sales, things that you wouldn't necessarily think. But will they're... you read like a like a sales book or something? And then oh have... yeah, yep. I got. I'm looking at one. The new the. Uh, the new strategic selling, like there's a book that's right. I've got bunches of books. So like things like there's another book I'm reading, The Art of Negotiation uh, about by an FBI guy. Like it's all types of things like how to talk to anyone by uh, I'm looking at books that are just sitting here, right? Like they're all things where how do you get somebody to do what you need them to do? How do you get them to buy into it? And how do you get them to be confident and feel bulletproof that they can do it? And I think as a coach, you're trying to go outside of the, the traditional realm of just golf swing geometry, X's and O's, and like, what do you do in the, the short game and putting? Which is where someone like Sasha McKenzie comes in. And what's a normal driver? Uh, normal driver, 310 to 320. Okay. Depending on your setup. Okay. Sorry, that's Dr. Sasha McKenzie. He's a professor in the Department of Human Kinetics at St. Francis Xavier University in Canada, and he has a PhD in sports biomechanics. Sasho calls himself a golf score optimizer, and he looks at the game through a powerfully analytical lens. He works directly with some players, but most of his work involves educating instructors like Mark on the science behind the golf swing. You know, with Mark Blackburn, I, I do a lot of, um, if he... He's got a theory before he works with a player. Um, the last, you know, four or five players is kind of how it's gone. Hey, uh, what do you think? These are my theories. Uh, so we'll have a, a lot of back and forth about the science behind what he's what he thinks the new route should be for a player. And, and those theories, you know, like you said, Mark will come to you and say, you know, I think this guy should be doing this. What might one of those theories be and how might your expertise uh, lend them some support that they might not be able to arrive at at their own? So he has a pretty good idea and then he'll say, Hey, does this make sense to you? Because I might have more experience looking at all those patterns and specifically at the kinetics. Um, so instead of just guessing and saying, Oh, let's weaken the grip because I know that I've weakened the grip of four or five players, you know, that have had this issue and it's helped. He'll say, what is that going to do to the kinetics? Um, does it make sense that, uh, you know, this could be the issue. I asked him to get even nerdier to get in the weeds and, Tell me the info he might analyze. So I guess, um, you know, maybe what I'm knowing a little bit for is understanding some of the mechanics that may help with um, uh, squaring the face or hitting a draw. Um, 
And um, if you have a player that is uh, maybe, you know, having trouble hitting a draw, they like to hit a draw, but all of a sudden they can't. And now it feels like they have to really work to hit that draw. Um, one of the things that can happen is from a visual perspective, they might look perfectly on plane, um, but uh, there's a mechanical feature in the golf swing, the location of the center of mass of the club relative to uh, the force vector that they're applying to the grip. Um, it, it, there's a relationship there that visually is not easy to see in a golf swing, but if you've looked at both the kinetics from a, an analysis standpoint in the computer animation and actual swings, and you kind of have a chance at figuring it out. This would be information overload for some, maybe most of PGA Tour players. Not Matt Fitzpatrick. Matt and his swing coach, Mike Walker, reached out to Sasho a few years ago with one goal, get longer off the tee. He wanted to increase club head speed, which I learned is literally just an equation. I, I always work from a very scientific deterministic standpoint. <laughs> There's like club head speed is an equation. It's a literal equation. The things the golfer does add up to club head speed. I can measure it. So, so if, um, that's, that's really interesting. So if I gave you all the facts, I gave you a guy's height, I gave you what I, all, all the, whatever numbers you wanted to see besides club head speed. Could you then tell me exactly what that person's club head speed would be? Yeah. Yeah. That's how it works. That's physics. That's, that's how it works. Yeah. Um, now, some of those things there might be. Uh, so Sasho you know, figured uh, out that in order to increase club head speed, Matt needed to change his swing. So they worked on a swing in conjunction with his swing coach that would produce longer drives, but they wouldn't put it in play until it felt comfortable. And that's important. Every golfer knows the feeling of making what feels like a good swing, looking up and seeing the ball go way offline. And you know the opposite too, making an uncomfortable move and hitting one down the middle. Sasho doesn't think that's sustainable. And so now when you make a bad, you hit a bad drive, I want it to feel bad. I want you to be like, God damn it. You know, I was quick from the top, I, whatever it was. And so when you go to hole eight now, you're like, okay, make that comfortable move. Like it's such a positive, more positive experience. Not everyone on tour is as analytical as Fitzpatrick. And the majority of Sasho's influence on PGA Tour players comes via their instructors. Through his work with coaches and his stack system he sends to players to help them gain speed, Sasho estimates he's worked with somewhere between 100 and 150 tour players. So here's somebody that essentially no golf fan would recognize, and he's influencing half the PGA Tour. The beauty of golf is that in any given round, you get to hit so many different types of shots. That's why you need the ball that's made to be better on every shot in golf the TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With the TP5 and TP5X, no matter what shot you're facing, you'll have the confidence to step into it and think, I love it. Stock fade, love it. Step on a three wood, love it. Knock it down under the wind, love it. That's why players like Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy, Colin Morikawa, Ricky Fowler, Tommy Fleetwood, and so many other pros trust TP5 and TP5X every week. And both TP5 and TP5X come in picks for better visual feedback around the greens. Head to tailormadegolf.com and use the promo code GOLFDIGEST for free shipping. But what if Sasho or a swing coach want a player to make a change that they're just physically incapable of making? That's where trainers come in. 
They seem to be referred to more often these days as physios for whatever reason. Colin Morikawa has two main guys that he works with, Ryan Chab and Leo Rooney from Urban Golf Performance in Los Angeles. Colin is young and he wants to increase speed, but only slowly. The thing he's most concerned with is injury prevention. That and his feet. Ryan, who works at UGP, I've been working with him simply on my feet. Um, my feet and kind of just lower body uh, since what's, what's Riviera. Wrong your, what's wrong with your feet? There's nothing wrong with my feet. It's just there's nothing great with my feet. So I think there's 26 or 32. There's some somewhere in between 20 and 40 bones in your feet, right? And when I saw him in 2021 Riviera, I came to him and we started work. He started looking. He likes to start from the base up. So he looks at my feet and he's feeling my bones and, and my feet. And he's like, well, if you have, uh, I don't, I want to look up how many bones, whatever. You have X amount of bones in your feet. They should all be moving independently to naturally, you know, spread out and use your joints properly. And from your feet, everything else is connected up. And he said, mine look like a concrete block. Ryan remembers it slightly differently. Colin was, Colin was telling me that, that you guys have been working, <laughs> Ryan, pretty much exclusively on his feet. And he told me that you told him that his feet look like a concrete block. Those are his words, not mine. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, it's really granular work. And it's, it's, it's super interesting how detailed this stuff gets. If we relate it to the human gait cycle, the, the foot should pronate and supinate. And if it gets stuck in any of those positions, it could influence negatively how the body moves above. It's not to say that the feet are the problem, but because the feet are attached to the ground and it closes the chain upwards, that if the feet are neglected, then changes above might not actually be, um, might not stick as well as they could. And here's Leo relating the feet to the golf swing. Foot position and maybe a foot being stuck, for example, in the backswing, um, that can influence, and that might be only a 10% let's say, you know, uh, leak in the foot, when that gets translated through the legs and through the hips and through the upper body and hands and arms, that could be a 30% leak when it, when it comes down to the club head. So that's why these small details starting from the ground matter so much. So Ryan will test Colin's feet. He'll manipulate them, grab and move them, move the joints. And he might do it for two hours. But that's not all the work Ryan and Leo do for Colin. They'll head out to Vegas, where Colin lives, maybe a half dozen times throughout the year to do some really intense workout sessions. And they'll give Colin a routine to follow throughout the season that they created, with consultation from the rest of the team, of course. They've had a plan to add roughly two miles per hour of clubhead speed per year for Colin, and it's worked out so far. Colin's longer than he was when he turned pro, but he doesn't feel like he has to exert more effort to get that speed, which is exactly how they drew it up. A lot of pro golfers have their physios travel with them throughout the year, and a lot of players share the same physio, which helps bring down the cost of bringing a guy out on the road. Colin prefers to do his work with them away from the golf course. Either way, these trainers often also function as a guy's nutritionist, or to at least give them information on what's good for them and what isn't. Do you guys do help him with his nutrition as well? 
A little bit. I mean, yeah. just kind of general. Uh, we talk about it quite a bit, I would say. Um, Ryan and I love nutrition, so we're always just kind of yeah, talking he about loves it. Food a little too much to love nutrition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true. Case in point, here's a clip from his press conference ahead of the Genesis Invitational this year. Colin was asked what restaurants he'd be hitting up during his week back in his hometown of Los Angeles. Yeah, well, that's an easy one. Um, so on Sautel, which is really close to here, uh, there's this place called Sujita Annex. There's three, su- there's, there's a Sujita across the street. Don't go to that one. There's a Sujita Annex, which is like kind of hidden in, in these little bushes. Um, just be ready to take a nap after. And there's a place called Killer Noodle, which is two places down the road. So if anyone wants to find me this week, I promise you I'll be there. All three of those places are authentic Japanese ramen spots. Not exactly ideal fuel for the body. It's okay, though. He's young. We've talked a lot about the swing, about getting more out of the swing, but so much of golf is about touch, about fine motor skills rather than explosive movements. Putting, of course, being the most salient example of them all. PGA Tour pros often turn to putting specialists to help them with this highly specific motion. I said earlier that if you walk to a PGA Tour driving range, you'll see a bunch of coaches with iPads. If you then head over to the putting green, you'll see a bunch of different guys with a bunch of different training aids. One of them is Phil Kenyon. Just a few weeks ago, two of Kenyon's dozen or so students on tour faced off against each other on the back nine on Sunday, Max Homa and Keegan Bradley. After the round, Bradley spoke glowingly about his work with Phil. Geez, if I can putt like this, you know, I, I feel like I can do a lot of damage the rest of the year. What kind of, um, I know you started working with Phil Kenyon late last year, what kind of uh, confidence did he kind of build in your, in your, with your putting? I mean, he, he's helped me so much. He's helped, I, really all we focused on is reading the greens. And I've been doing a little aim point, and, um, geez, my stats have really improved. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy with, wh- with where that is. It's the best it's been since I've had the belly putter, and it's not even close. So how did Phil decide, after looking at Keegan's terrible putting stats, that it was actually his reading of greens that needed work? There's more than just technique. You know, you, when you're looking at putting, it's about uh, developing, like, skill sets. So controlling speed, reading a green, being able to start the ball online, and then those, those three aspects match each other. I can't remember who told me this, but I thought it was a neat way of explaining how important read and speed are in putting. If I took an eight handicap onto a perfect putting mat, one of those mats to practice indoors with, and I had them hit straight putts on it, they'd make almost all of them. Starting the ball online just isn't all that difficult on its own. It's about matching the read and the speed to that line, and Keegan Bradley just wasn't doing that. Well, then when I saw him, I was quite surprised how like, technically competent he was in terms of like starting the ball online and you know, there's some technology that I use, and when you look at those parameters, he's like he ticks a lot of boxes te- technically. He could start the ball online, um, and he was technically proficient, but he wasn't putting well. So if you think of the other skills that you require, they've got to lie somewhere else, haven't they, in terms of speed or read? And it was more more predominantly the read, and the picture that he would see as he stepped into the put was wasn't functional. It wouldn't work. Was, was there a commonality? Was it he was under-reading putts? He was over-reading putts? His, his process wasn't refined enough? He, he, he would under-read putts. And then when he stood over the ball, 
he would see the ball coming in from a very, very different place, which also wasn't correct. These are the things you think about when golf is your livelihood. So Phil helped Keegan incorporate Aimpoint, a green reading system. It's the one that has guys putting fingers in front of their nose on the greens into his routine. And the impact has been immediate. Now that's money well spent. So we've talked swing, biomechanics, body, putting, but what about strategy? Surely these guys have played enough competitive golf and played it well that they don't need a numbers cruncher to tell them how to play, right? Wrong. Hunter Stewart isn't your average stats guy. He played in a Walker Cup in 2012 and was a stud player at Vanderbilt. After a brief and failed pro career, he decided to dive into the stat world and convince two pros, Maverick McNeely and Robbie Shelton, to let him help them. He now works with seven players on the PGA Tour. I like to take what they have and kind of tweak it a little bit or, or you know, really tell them who they are and then, um, you know, kind of what they need to work on and kind of bring them to a formula Moneyball style a little bit to show them like how they can add their stuff up to a season that they want to have. So what, what might that look like? Like what would you prepare for your players? Well, I mean, the simplest idea is if you're going to make the tour championship, I mean, this is not really a secret. You can kind of look at it. Just you could find this on PGA tour.com. I mean, you have to gain around a hundred strokes over 110 strokes and 90 rounds over there an average PGA tour player. So you kind of have, I mean, you know, if you're saying, well, you're going to have to score this many runs to win this many games to make the playoffs. Well, you're going to have to gain around 110 strokes in your 90 or so odd rounds to play the tour championship. And if that's a season long goal for you, you know, there's your number. So Hunter will look at their stats and tell them where some additional practice might get them closer to that formula. On a week-to-week basis, he'll look at specific tournaments and golf courses and help his players strategize. There are a number of stats guys on tours. Roughly half consult a stats guy of some kind, but plenty of these stats guys aren't on site. They rely on Google Maps or simple numbers to give mathematically optimized targets. But Hunter's out there, on the ground, 30 to 35 events per year. He believes seeing the golf course, walking it with his players, is vital toward giving specific information that will help them. You see, you know, certain strengths of guys, they're going to hit driver on some of the holes this week. You'll see, you're not going to see all my guys playing to the exact same spot. So, you know, you've got one player that's a bad iron player of mine, and you've got one player that's one of the best on at the, at the tournament. And so, you know, then you've got one, the same guy is not a great driver and one of them's an amazing driver. So you're going to just see completely different strategies. If all this sounds hard to manage, like it might just make you really anxious and give you information overload, you're not alone. Dr. Brett McCabe, the psychologist we heard from at the very beginning, works with PGA Tour players who often feel like they're stuck, that they're doing the right things, seeing the right people, and still not performing at a level they believe they should be at. To me, the mental game is about three major things. It's about the belief and confidence and self-image that you see in yourself the way you prepare and the way you execute. My job is to get them to believe in themselves more to handle whatever comes their way. Confidence is not knowing I can do it. Confidence is knowing I can face anything that's before me. Do I prepare the way I need to prepare or am I always fixing problems? And then last, am I, am I ready to go into the uncertainty of competition and get ready to brawl when pressure picks up? If I can get them to believe in themselves to do that, then we're 99% of the way there. 
Brett used to do the whole stand behind the guy on the range, walk the practice round thing, but now he prefers to meet with his players off the golf course, maybe in a coffee shop. He's distinctly modern in his communication. He'll send his guys YouTube videos to watch, does a lot of his messaging over text, and it's working. Brett currently works with John Rahm, Sam Burns, Billy Horschel, Hudson Swafford, Henrik Norlander, and Davis Riley, among others. I don't tell players how to think when they're on the golf course. Billy Horschel has said it numerous times. What it is is that he says, I don't know what Brett and I work on, but when I'm done, I feel ready to go. If you're wondering how all these guys get paid and how the player has time to handle that type of thing, well, he doesn't have to. His agent does. Nearly every player on tour has an agent. Think of these guys as steering the bus that is a player's career. The agent will negotiate endorsement deals. The one who finds those companies that want to put their logo on a PGA Tour player's hat or shirt or bag. He'll act as a sounding board if a player is thinking about making a change to a part of his team. Maybe he wants a new swing coach or a new caddy. And the agent might be the one to actually reach out to those people on behalf of the player. They're also in charge of facilitating a player's time, scheduling photo shoots or podcast appearances, interviews, booking hotels, rental houses, flights. To put it simply, doing everything so all the player has to do is focus on getting better at golf. And as we've discussed, there are a ton of aspects that go into getting better at golf. A caddy, a swing coach, a biomechanist, a trainer, a putting coach, statistician, psychologist. It's a lot of help for sure, but it's also a lot of paychecks to cut. I asked Colin if it makes him cringe, if he hates cutting up that tournament check into so many different pieces. His response speaks to the mindset of players in 2022, when professional golf is big business. It's built in, and, and what I've learned um, very early on, because trust me, I am a put me in a back of the plane economy seat, middle seat guy for like a few hour flight. Like I will, I will do that. Now, unfortunately, I have a lot of people in my corner now that will not allow me to do that. Um, but when it comes down to it, it's, it's all an investment on this business, right? This group, this brand that we're building, you know, you called it an entourage, you called it a, a whatever you called it, whatever the other word you called it. Um, overall, it's, it's really, we're putting together a brand and we have people that are working under this brand, right? And this is just golf and this is the Colin Morikawa brand. So for the most part, it's just all investments. So whether it's paying certain people, you need to pay this person, pay this person, you need to buy whatever flights, you need to do this, you need to, you know, work out a little more, you need to fly down to LA, whatever it is for this team. It's all an investment for me to get better and me to perform as best as I can. So at the end of the day, it's, it's not tough to write these checks because uh, I'm trying to improve myself and, and these all, all these people around me are trying to do the same and that's what's great. Local Knowledge is produced by Greg Gottfried with editorial guidance from Sam Weinman. The music for today's episode is called Take Me Higher, and it's by Jazar. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to Local Knowledge wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a nice review. It makes a big difference. Thanks, guys.